Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Are you not entertained? Hello and welcome to History in Technicolor with me, Wolf O'Neill, and... And me, David Crowley. David, welcome. I am so stoked, baby. Uh, I was about to say, are you happy to be here? But you are stoked, stoked to be here. Stoked. I hate that expression. Stoked. Do me a favour. <laughs> what other expression could you use to explain just how excited you are to be here? Really excited, exuberant, ecstatic, anything but stoked. Okay, I'll remember that. <laughs> it's really marketing speak, isn't it? You know, we're really stoked to bring you this new product. Oh, Anyway, where were we? Well, um, speaking of the joys of the English language... Oh, yes. um, I have proposed that today's episode is the 2009 film Bright Star by Jane Campion. Ah, I thought we were were watching Bright Spark. You you keep saying this, but I can't think what Bright Spark (laughs) is other than just like a, you know... Saying it's just an expression, you know. Oh, he's a right bright spark, isn't it? I cannot get that. In many ways, John Keats was. Ah, a bright spark. Carry on. So, Bright Star is a biopic um, about the love affair between the poet John Keats and Fanny Braun that spanned the years from 1818 to 1821. Uh, The film covers the last few years of his life and this defining romance. Uh, It was a love affair that remained mostly hidden to the world until Fanny's children published a collection of the love letters that Keats wrote to her after her death in, I think, 1865. Uh, the film is based on the work of Andrew Motion, the poet laureate, and his 1997 biography of Keats. Um, and then, as I've said, it's written and directed by the acclaimed filmmaker and recent Oscar winner, Jane Campion. And you might be thinking to yourself, why have I selected this film? Because we know so much about it. A, I've always wanted to watch it. I think it's a bit of a change of pace for us. I thought it would be very nice. Additionally, I've been intrigued to catch up on more of Campion's work. I didn't really love The Piano or The Power of the Dog or Top of the Lake, so it doesn't um, it doesn't bode well, but I didn't want to dismiss her work too quickly, 
and I am pleased that we selected this. So, before we get into the film, I have a couple of questions for you. And Shoot, baby. The first one is, what are your thoughts on poetry? Well, that's an interesting question, and I'm glad you've asked it, actually. Um, it has to be said that um, I have no feeling whatsoever for poetry whatsoever. I have no finer feelings. Um, I have... I mean, my reaction, if there's a bit of poetry there, is basically to think, why are you talking like in that funny way? Um, and it's a bit like jazz, actually. Absolutely no fellow feeling for it. So I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but basically... Um, unless it's a bit of joggerel. So shall I tell you my favourite limerick? Yeah. There was a young bard of Japan whose verses they never would scan. When told this or so, he said, yes, I know, but I always try and get as many words into the last line as I absolutely possibly can. Okay? Yes. So I like the odd limerick, and there was the Reverend Bishop of Birmingham, but I don't think that's printable. Um, so unless it's doggerel or very straightforward... It utterly baffles me. I just don't have the finer feeling or emotional sensitivity or patience for it. None of the basic tools. Is there one exception to this? There is. How did you know that? We've been on many a walk where you've been reciting. <laughs> <laughs> like That was Izzy's fault. Izzy told me that she wanted me to learn the darn thing. We, we were walking through the hills of northern Spain and... Uh, Yes, David reciting. Yeah, but I wasn't inflicting on it. Is he told me to teach teacher the the poem. Anyway, it was an ancient mariner, and he stopped us one of the three by the long grey beard and glittering eye. Now, wherefore stops thou me? Yes, I know quite a lot of um, quite a lot of that, and it's the cadence of the words actually that I enjoy so much about about in real and drought the death fires danced that night all that sort of stuff there are a couple of other poems do you want me to go into yes this? please do it really is this the right time okay so the other thing i can recite off by heart is a couple of bits of doggerel uh jabberwocky uh the mm. jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tolgy wood and burbled as he came that one and there's something about an owl and a panther eating a pie uh, so I'm not completely blind to it, but as you can tell, you know, uh, and I was actually hoping that this film would give me an in to understand how to listen to poetry because it's other people's enthusiasms that get me going. I do have a couple of other poems which are political in nature and I came across because of the history and those are great. Would you like me to recite them now or later? Do it now. Okay, do it now. Okay, so there is... It's, you know, uh, Shelley. Yes, you're Shelley, isn't it? So, 1819, an old, mad, blind, despised and dying king. Princes, the dregs of their dull race who flow through public scorn, mud from a muddy spring. Rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, but leech-like to their fainting country cling. That's one stanza. And then The Mask of Anarchy, which you wrote around the same time when there's all load of repression going on in... In England, I met murder on the way. He had a mask like Castlereagh. Very smooth he looked, yet grim. Seven bloodhounds followed him. I mean, I love those because the cadence of the language is amazing and I've learnt them because of the history. And that is pretty much it. 
So what I'm getting from this, David, is uh -huh. you actually do like poetry. And if you read more poetry like the kinds that, you, that you've already suggested you like, you probably would find a bunch more that you also appreciate. Possibly. I think if people took me by the hand and took me into it, then... You know, and what about you then? What about you and poetry? You're much more sensitive uh, and, and, than I am, much more in touch with your finer feelings. In fact, you may have some finer feelings where I actually don't. It's possible that I'm not too far from your opinion. Is that right? I'm disappointed. But from a different, different reason. Okay. I love the idea of poetry. Right, I see. I but see. in reality, I struggle a little bit with it. Right. And I think that's because I simply don't read enough. And I also feel that many, much of it still eludes me. Not that I can't enjoy it, but I still feel like I'm not on the same yes. level and I'm missing yes. a bunch of it. It's passing I, me by. Absolutely. I, I, whenever I feel a poem, I think, I wonder what that was about. Hmm. You know, whereas Ancient Marriage is pretty obvious. He's telling a story. Uh, but if I read something, I don't know, Ted Hughes, unless it's about crows eating rubbish, I don't really understand it. Yeah, I, I kind of get that. And also, I think it's something of the fact that it doesn't it doesn't come to life until you are, until you're reading it, until you're performing mm. it to an extent. A, there's a part of me that even if I'm on my own, is like, this just, this isn't done. You read silently <laughs> and that's, that's how it but works. Actually, yes, reading out loud does make a massive difference, I think. I mean, yeah. you're slightly barking mad if you're doing it on the bus or whatever, but you know. And I think once I started to embrace that when you read poetry, you just need to read it out loud and get into it, then it, it adds something to it. And um, I think it enables you to enjoy it in the same way you would a song, even if you didn't know what the lyrics were about. Yes. As you said, the yeah. way that you move through the words, the rhythm of the poem, the sound of it. Um, even if you don't analyze it on any deeper level, you can still enjoy it for that part of the experience. Yeah. But yeah, just generally, I, I love hearts worn on sleeves. I love raw emotion. Right. Um, right. Especially with the romantics. Don't do any of that. I know, but yes, excellent. I knew you were finer than I was. I am. I think you must appreciate the idea of striding around in the countryside, taking in all of the wondrous nature, and you feel so overwhelmed by the beauty of nature around you that you have to try and um, compress that sense of the sublime down into these wonderful phrases? I suppose I do. I suppose I do. Yes. I mean, I've, I have a mixed reaction to it. One half of my sense is silly. Sit down, get yourself a nice cup of tea and just get on with it and start saving for your pension. And the other, <laughs> and the other half, yes, when I'm out walking on some fantastic bit of nature and whatever yeah <laughs> i take your point good i try to repress it though obviously well come on quote some poetry at me baby okay ju just before you start reading yes. wolf just make sure it's not a, lo a love poem because i blush <laughs> you know uh david how i love thee so my favorite oh, podcaster in oh, the world pension schemes pension schemes <laughs> Um, well, first of all, who's your, I guess maybe you've already said, but do you have a favorite poet? These are kind of random poems, well, but do you have a poet that you're like, oh, I probably do like you the most? Well, because it's, uh, 
that bright-eyed man, the ancient marinier. It's probably Samuel Taylor Coleridge in it. Um, yeah, I mean, I the thing we used to be read some Roger McGough at school, which I thought was quite fun, and of course Pamers, who can who cannot like the fine romantic poet that is Pam. Mm. Yes, <laughs> doggerel. No, I mean it's got to be Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Interesting, just because of you know, Duke and whatever. But it's because it's the only one I know. I think I was reading one time about some of Coleridge's hiking expeditions. We are off track here, uh, and I will pull it back in. Yes. Um, they're fascinating. There's one of the faces in, I think, the Peak District or the Lake District, and he climbed down like a, a near sheer cliff, and right. he got trapped for hours at one point, and then he managed to get right. down. And late people have tried to climb back up it like a hundred years later. Right. And many have fallen yeah. to their deaths. And he did it without any walking Blimey. equipment because he just used to set off. He never used a map or anything. He just like pick a direction right. and be like, wherever I go, I'll go. And then he it went down yeah, the, the other side. And that was part of right. his like, how I'm going to be at one with nature. Right. Not try to control it. That is kind of that is kind of wild and romantic, isn't it? He also, he's also quite a big noise in the anti in the uh, abolition thing, wasn't he? He wrote a lot of political poetry around that. So I'll probably come across him mm. when I hit the podcast again. You know. Well, very interesting. I I like this conversation, but we will we will be quick. I mean, the other bit of poetry I I did a shedcast on a guy called John Clare. And when we start talking about Keats, uh, John Clare uh, was a, a peasant poet who, very unusually uh, a peasant poet, and uh, hasn't really been remembered in the way the posh guys have, and um, was very much an observer of nature in reality, you know, because he worked on the land. and he So his poem of a nightingale is very different to the highfalutin stuff you get with Keats. Mm. And in fact, John Clare said he was pretty sure Keats had never actually seen uh, a nightingale. Um, do you get nightingales, like, in London? Well, he did, of course, because famously, isn't it that, re that recording in Soho Square of a nightingale um, and somebody's, somebody plays a, a cello or something... There's that famous BBC recording. I mean, not anymore. They're all dead as dodos now. There are hardly any nightingales anywhere in, in Blighty because we've murdered them all, but they used to be. So, to answer my own question, I guess. Okay. Poetry Recycle. History and Technicolor. I don't have, a, like, a specific... Uh, well, my favourite poet is T.S. Eliot, without a doubt. Okay. I love T.S. Eliot. Okay. He's a funny chap, isn't he, T.S. Eliot? Mm -hmm. He looks terribly buttoned up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been like Schubert, isn't it? He looks like terribly buttoned up, and he wrote all this music. I guess he's keeping everything buttoned up inside, and then it comes out on the page. Yes. Yes. Like vomit. No, not like vomit. I withdraw that statement unreservedly. Um, so I don't have a favourite passage, but there are poems that I always go to, um, and I will not read very much because other people read it better than me. So self-deprecating wolf. Well, this is the start of the wasteland, which is an incredible poem. Okay. You must have read it at school, right? Somebody once repeated, "I measured out my life in coffee spoons." Is that? Oh, that's thing? probably proof rock. Uh, okay, I thought it was a nice line. Oh, it's great. That, that's it. Um, oh God, the, every single one of his poems is so good. 
I love all of them. Oh, that's very good. So you're obviously very enthusiastic about your poetry. Right, okay. Let's change it. I'm going to read. Okay. This is uh, the first part of Preludes. Your poetry reading today is Wolf O'Neill. Wolf. The winter evening settles down with smell of steaks in passageways. Six o'clock. The burnt-out ends of smoky days. And now a gusty shower wraps the grimy scraps of withered leaves about my feet and newspapers from vacant lots. The showers beat on broken blinds and chimney pots, and at the corner of the street, a lonely cab horse steams and stamps, and then the lighting of the lamps. It's nice. Excellent. Genius. Genius. Very good. But you can feel those old London streets. You can. You can indeed. Yeah, very nice. Um, very smart. So, I mean, that is the thing, really. You, you really... I do feel you need somebody else. You know, when you read that just now, I think, oh, yeah, that's great. I'd like to know more, more about that. But, you know, I just don't find the occasion to sit down. Anyway, I know what I'm going to get for your Christmas present. Okay. Um, so did you read a lot of poetry at school? Uh, no. In fact, oh, God, we did. I mean, you know, we had to do all the normal stuff. I think the wasteland, actually, is probably responsible for a couple of deaths in my year. Mm-hmm. People just couldn't go on any, any longer. Um but, of course, we did the normal stuff. Um, and the Ancient Mariner, again, was because I had a teacher, Wilf Messiah, and a mate, Pat Claxon, and we all got enthusiastic about the thing. And I even wrote an extra essay in my enthusiasm, which is, you know, frankly illegal. And I didn't tell any of my schoolmates about it. Otherwise, they'd have given me a good, solid beating, obviously. Um, but, uh, yes, and it was that enthusiasm that got me into it. This is a program about poetry reading. Now. No, no, we're going we're gonna to change up in a minute. Um, but my last point was, I guess, kind of at school, did you, do a, did you mm-hmm. study Keats or did you study any of the other romantic poets? How familiar are you with them? Well, uh, no, I didn't really, but my mother did. And actually, I would like to argue in favour of rote learning because actually, if you're forced to recite some poetry... I know it's supposed to be antithetical to the idea of, you know, oh, understanding the poetry, let it speak to your soul, darling. You know, that sort of uh, mm-hmm. tripe. But actually, if you're forced to learn it, it stays with you. So I have mum has two bits of poetry which have stayed with her and she still repeats. Um, and one of them, I think, is Keats. OK, I'm going to try them on you and you can then guess which one. Okay. okay? The owl... For all his feathers was a cold. Okay, that's one. And then the other little snippet of poetry she remembered is, there once was a rabbit who developed the habit of wrinkling the end of his nose. Which one do you think is... The second one. (laughs) You have an eye for poetry, mate. Yeah, I mean, it had to be. You're a natural. (laughs) Anyway, but um, yes, I didn't answer the question. I mean, not that much, a little bit. Um, what about you? Did you do a lot of poetry at school? Uh, quite a bit. Um, the and so I had a loose understanding of the Romantics, but the only one that we like studied was William Blake. Um, right. And all it takes is a you know a, a cursory glance back over their work, and you're like, oh yes, to see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower, and it's like it all starts Gosh. coming back, and you're like, yep, yeah, I was going through all of those. Right. Okay, so you, so you remember stuff. I mean, it's worth learning a stuff at school, isn't it? I mean, Tiger, Tiger, Brain Bright is all I know uh, about Blake. Um, but it is, isn't it? They, they stay with you. 
these lines. And then, but even just certain words, like I always remember Blake's, I think it's mind forged manacles. Like, but it's the same with Shakespeare. You remember certain phrases, certain collections of words that, yeah, that linger. Yeah. So I, um, uh, actually we did paradise lost him the almighty power hurled headlong flaming from the ethereal sky down to bottomless perdition there to dwell in adamantine chains who durst defy the omnipotent two arms i mean that's bloody good incredible stuff you know he might i bet he leant back in his armchair gave a massive fart and thought yes do you think John Milton farted? Um, but that's great stuff, isn't it? That stayed with me forever. Also, because it was about adamant, obviously. Mm-hmm. Because it was adamant's chains. To answer your questions, no, I do not believe that John Milton did that after he wrote that section of the poem. But <laughs> John Milton almost certainly farted. <laughs> they just didn't happen at the yes. same time. In the way there's that Gulliver's um, Jonathan Swift poem about um, lamenting this romantic lover who finds out that celia shits do you know that poem I don't. celia celia he has terrible one he's all having a terrible time and his friends say what's wrong what's wrong what's wrong and he says, celia 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 shits see i do remember more poetry it's though, all, it's, it's flooding back it's all coming out can, can you imagine if nobody really knew milton as like a successful poet but they just knew him as like milton the farter um <laughs> Filton the Martyr. And there was a, oh, there goes Milton the Farter. As he's like, <laughs> you know, potters down the street to get some bread or something. Composing, yes. Or, or his window's open and it's always just like... <laughs> like oh, he's hard at work again. Yeah. It's a tremendous, tremendous image of um, Gerard's Cross with a slight thug lifting above the small Milton's cottage. Is it Gerard's Cross? Something like that. Uh, I love how we... I love how... We were like, hey, wait a minute. We're talking about too much high culture here. <laughs> back to... Back to the Back farting. to the toilet humour. <laughs> yes. That's the English way. Uh, I believe we are in the fires of perdition. I think we may well be in the fires of perdition. Right. Should we, get, should we talk about yes, the film? We so, the film. Uh, my first question for you, David, is what do you think the aim of the film is? And what did you think of the film? Uh, I think the aim of the film is to to make people like me um, feel slightly ill. I've never been very good at romantic movies. Um, what was it, the aim of the film? What a very good question. Um, I mean, I saw it just as a straightforward romantic movie telling the life and trying to paint a picture of this romance, but... Um, I've wondered also whether it might be about trying to sort of give you a, an introduction into poetry, but it didn't really do that for me very well, but maybe it was trying to do that. I don't know. It's not a good answer. I think that um, it is trying to experiment with poetry and kind of and with film mm-hmm. um, and with film as a form of poetry, um, how to visualize uh, in images and with sound um, poetry as like an art form. And I do think, like you say, it's, I mean, it's simply about choosing to show us this relationship, which maybe we don't know anything about. And then I think uh, in a slight addition to that, it's mostly about Fanny 
and trying to show her the like almost forgotten part of the couple to audiences now. Yes. Um, because everybody has some idea of Keats. And even if it develops him, uh, Fanny is the one that maybe we don't know anything about. So she is kind of the focus. Yeah. Um, highlight this kind of missing bit of history and fill it in for us. Yeah, I certainly agree. Fanny is definitely the focus of it. Um, what did you think of the film? Well, it was the film that I was designed to detest with every fibre of my being. Because I just don't do romantic movies. Again, I have no finer feelings. And as Paul Jane, who's been married to me all these years, knows full well. Um, you know, I like a film to have laughs or death. Blood is also good. But actually, I really enjoyed it. Yay! Thought, yeah, boo, boo. So, you know, thank you, Wolf, for picking, picking this movie. <laughs> Definitely took me out of my comfort zone. Uh, and, you know... Uh, but I didn't actually, I didn't actually throw up, so that was a win. Um, but it was rather well done, you know. I thought you've definitely felt this pair really did, really were in love with each other and find themselves in each other's presence. You know that kind of chemistry worked quite well, um, and yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, yeah, Ben Wishaw and Abby Cornish were tremendous. Um, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I How's about you? I agree, but then I think I liked it a lot more. And I definitely... I am not ashamed to say that I can enjoy and appreciate romance. Oh, you're such a modern man. Um, Have you got a pension scheme? Uh, yeah, but I don't know if it's good. Um, <laughs> so that is maybe something I need to change. With the film, I thought that it was it was clearly... Fanny Braun's movie, or it was to me, and I thought Abby Cornish yeah. was incredible. She was great, yeah. I thought Ben Wishaw was nice as Keats. He was good. He's Ben Wishaw. He's very likable in everything. He's very Keatsian, isn't he, Ben Wishaw? He's very good at that sort of liquid-eyed sort of fey thing. I mean, he's, he reminds me, he reminded me of the film of the same sort of vulnerability that he does did Richard II with. He was very good. Was that in The Hollow Crack? Uh, yes, it was. And, of course, Jane loves him. Jane loves this, this movie too. So almost uniquely of all the movies we've done together, she actually watched this again with me, and she's seen it about three times or something. Well, uh, And she goes on and on about Ben, you know. I partly picked it because I knew that it came so highly recommended. Ah, there you go. I thought that Abby Cornish's performance was nuanced and passionate. Uh, it was detailed and believable. I thought it was the kind of movie where you pay attention to all the slightest movements, um, and especially a lot of them in the face because there's a lot of close-ups. And I just thought it was really uh, considered and deliberate. Um, other things that I loved, gorgeous gowns, wonderful costumes. The period yes. setting is lovely. Mm -hmm. I thought, considering it's like a, a, a relatively small movie, and it's this kind of historical romance. I thought the dramatic tension was palpable. Right. And when I say that, I mean that you can almost hear their hearts straining inside their chests, the breath caught in their throats. The swooning Ooh. is so raw. Um, but because of the time period, it's incredibly restrained. Yes. And 
it's if you like Jane Austen, so much of that like um, bursting emotions, but in like restrained society and in people's bodies where they're trying to like hold it back in, and it, it wrestles with itself. It's enjoyable. I thought the film was gentle and overwhelming, and mm-hmm. I also think that something about the inevitability of history does yes. have this like somber cloud that hangs over the movie from the start and kind of keeps you were you... just waiting for him to get um consumption yeah don't you? and it keeps you on the edge of your seat because yes that is dramatic and is tragic um you know classic elements of the story i thought that it was i liked how the film kind of presented this idea of uh focused on fanny as this muse of his um, like one of the great muses of English poetry. Um, yeah. But then as a fully rounded character, all of her own, she was the main character. And I thought it was tragic, inspiring, heartwarming, frustrating. So you really liked it then? You really went big on this? Yeah, it was in a way that sometimes you can't quite explain. So sometimes not a lot is happening. Sometimes it's moving very slowly. And I was, I just realized I was like, I, I'm not blinking. I'm, right. what's going to happen next? Like, how is this going to resolve itself? And every every frame of the film is so sumptuous mm. that it, you never wanted to look away because there was something to be concentrating on. But and there was some beauty and like it was quite relaxing in that like slowness. I yeah, I enjoy the idea of yeah. you know shining a spotlight and highlighting someone from history that is sidelined or maligned. Because I have yeah. read that her reputation was oh, really? attacked quite a, quite a bit after. Because at the, obviously at the time Keats wasn't well. Keats didn't become famous while he was alive. He became famous afterwards. Um, and then when they revealed that she had been this really important person in his life, and all these academics and professors, nobody knew anything about it. I think everyone mm. kind of took a bit of a funny turn um, at the suggestion of her importance and involvement in his life and right. his poetry and the focus of all of these love poems he's writing. And um, I think she was attacked a bit in the press at the time and her reputation was right. a bit, I don't know, there is some scandal and they kind of talk about it in the film. Uh, I think her mother says everyone's talking about it in the town. They need to know what's going on because they, they are romantically involved, but they are not married Yes, and they are yes, not indeed. necessarily on a career on a, on a path to marriage. Yeah, they are operating outside of like societal norms, and they accept it, especially for their kind of class. Um, yeah. That's not really acceptable, and people are starting to raise their eyebrows. That adds a certain amount of tension too, doesn't it? That uh, you know, this the will they will 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 they won't they sort of thing, and will they be able to overcome the fact that uh, it doesn't have two farthings to rub together, and therefore they're not supposed to be marrying. I think another thing that works quite well, worked quite well for me, is that there's a sort of a, um, a bittersweet thing going on, not just the fact that he's going to croak, but um, Brown as a, as a character is there to sort of, um, you know, put a bit of grit in the oyster. Uh, you know, he's obviously very, uh, and he's very angry about Fanny, he sees her as an interloper getting in the way of their art and all the rest of it. And he's, you know, relentlessly hostile. So there's there's a bit of grit. Otherwise, it could be ter- could have been terribly soapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, against that, it's not only the sweetness of the romance, but the romance doesn't go that well, or you know, it's got its problems. And then there's the little kiddie Edie, 
Edie Martin, is it, who's supposed to be Toots Brown. And she's as cute as a bun, obviously. And she's... Yeah, her sweetness also helped helped heighten the romance. It kind of set it off in a in a funny sort of way. I don't know. I thought she worked really well. I thought she was incredibly uh, funny. I laughed. She was I laughed very funny. Every time she was on screen. Yeah, and as cute as a button. So, you know, it was, I think that worked really well. Yeah, I completely agree. A um, couple of other little points. I thought, and even if I don't have answers for this, uh, I thought the film does kind of discuss some interesting questions about what does it mean to be a poet? Uh, what does it mean to be a poet through the techniques of film? Uh, is Jane Campion operating as a poet it, or other members of her team, um, the cinematographer, etc., through this? Mm. Um, is that possible for a filmmaker to be a poet? I I don't know. Maybe. I think it's um, there are lots of aspects of this film kind of visually... Uh, it's focus on fabrics and the wind and yes. flowers and insects and some of the ways that it chooses to it highlights like the ink on his fingers. Um, yeah, you can feel that the fabrics and the colors and the smells of the world that you're in. It's quite vibrant, and yes, that it is. that gives the quality, or even if I just imagine it, of poetry and kind of the emotion that comes forward uh, and the passion is there. So when they, and they incorporate a lot of his lines of poetry kind of into their everyday speak. So it's a bit more mm. naturalistic and intertwined dialogue, um, which I think also removes some of the, the like pump of, yes. of poetry. It's because it's so hard to get rid of that, isn't it? You know, the, I am reciting now thing. Yeah. And it was more just like talking and I think that kind of demystifies it a little bit and it helps you understand how kind of the everyday is kind of moving into their work uh, that we kind of then venerate. Um, mm. And Campion did say that she uh, she was trying to produce a sort of ballad, a short, uh, a sort of story poem. Right. Which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, and then one one last thing is that I think one of Campion's kind of main focuses on this in this film was to, because we've already mentioned it, the idea that you should be getting married and you should be getting, and marriage was still at this time an important kind of business decision that would set you up for your life. Yeah. I actually think that maybe the idea of Keats not having enough money so that he couldn't marry her is something that nowadays I, I probably don't pay too much attention to. Like, it's quite common for us to be like, oh, you don't always, you don't just marry um, for money. You don't marry for wealth. You don't marry for yeah. status. You marry for love. Fine. Um, but at this time, that is an anomaly. Yes. Um, but it's called the, Nor it's called the Northwest European uh, marriage model, uh, Wolf. Oh. Where couples don't marry until they can support family and then they move out. So you have small nuclear households. But yes, they don't, until they can support themselves, they don't get married. Which therefore has an interesting effect on population because if times are hard, people marry later, population goes down, resources don't get used up. I think this is a distraction from the poem. Sorry, mm. go back to the film. No, it's interesting. And the film is, is kind of following the story of someone who chooses to go against that model, against the norm, mm. and wants to follow their heart. And that just plays into every, you know, the romance, everything about this. Um, and it works.
Oh, I mean, we've already mentioned it. The costumes by Janet Patterson are great. Yes. The cinematography by Greg Fraser, I liked. He went on to do Dune, The Batman and Rogue oh, One. Oh, yes. Which is a bit surprised right. me. And the locations are kind of mostly through Bedfordshire, and they're obviously lovely. But I had I was going to ask you, what did you think of Mr. Brown and his role right. in the film and the film's perception of him? And I know that you said he's he represents this grit, but was there anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so. I mean, I... I um... I found him a little little bit slightly unconvincing, actually. I think there were two people I found slightly unconvincing. Him, a little bit. But basically, he worked, or I understood what he was doing. Uh, Kerry Fox, I think is her name. The mother was a bit wooden, I thought. I didn't mm. find her terribly convincing. Um, but I thought Brown, I didn't quite understand his relentless hostility to Fanny, but I suppose it was because he saw her as an interloper and he was kind of jealous of losing... Um, Keats to her um, you know although that was how I read it rightly or wrongly so I thought he did fine I thought he was necessary um, and fitted you are astute David oh I'm astute they don't call me astute for nothing um, I read that on his grave he had written friend of Keats oh is that right and one of the things that Campion had been talking about was this idea of like a love triangle. Um, mm, yes. I think when I was watching the film, I the he's so kind of so overtly interested in Fanny. Um, I maybe got distracted by that, but it made more sense to realize that he's obsessed with Keats. And yes. as you say, he he's he doesn't want this interloper there, and he wants to kind of be alone with Keats. And it's an interesting interesting to think about kind of his love going in that direction um yeah but he is irritating i found him quite annoying and i also found it really distracting because he's from parks and recreation oh is that right i didn't recognize him from parks and rec it's because he's from the he's from the weaker seasons like season one Uh, and season two i think his name's mark brandanowitz um did you have any last thoughts on the film well, there are a couple of observations I'd like to make. One is that uh, Jane, of course, loved all the f- the the touchy feely stuff you're talking about in terms of the fabric, the way you know you can feel the wind, you can you can feel the fabrics, which I agree with you works very well. She makes it a very strong point of that. So we now have all of our windows are now covered with the curtains, which there's a stage mm. point where Fanny lies down on the bed and the Yep. the sort of very see-through linen curtains are blowing into the room and it's all very romantic and all the rest of it so now we have a house <laughs> covered in flouncy floaty linen curtains which look lovely but don't actually do the job of curtains they keep out neither light nor warmth um and you know i go by muttering about pension schemes it's all about the vibe david yeah it's all about the vibe but about you know, anyway, functionality, functional, uh, functionality is beauty. Good function is beauty. That's all you need, lad. Um, so there was that. Uh, so Jane, loved those. I thought it was. There were a couple of funny bits. I'm not sure they should have been funny. Uh, one of the line that made me laugh out loud uh, was Fanny's line, where she declared that this was the first time anyone had worn a triple pleated mushroom collar. I'm not. Sure, if I was supposed to find that funny, but I did, because uh, I thought, well, wow, 
Uh, but then that shows my lack of finer feeling, obviously. And then I was finding it quite funny that the dance teacher in one of the earlier scenes had to be French and had to be incredibly effeminate, didn't he? You couldn't have a dance teacher that wasn't French and effeminate in an 18th century film. Um, but those are small points, obviously uh, minor. Uh, there was a couple of scenes that Jane talked about she particularly liked. I saw, saw her point where the kind of colour was leached from the background and it made the colour of the characters stand out very dramatically. She wanted me to ask you that and uh, ask how that was done. So I don't know if often that was in the woods when they were walking there. It was really interesting, actually. It was a good visual effect. It made you focus on the characters, but it had the background still there. Gosh, the bit with the bluebells. Mm-hmm. And she was in the blue dress and they stumbled into the right, woods. Yeah, yeah. And then she fell down into the flowers while reading his letter. It was it was incredible. The colours were so vibrant. Right. Um I don't know if I have anything smart to say about how they do no. that or or what techniques they're using. But I did well, read Yes, it that- works really well. I mean it's as you said, it's very, very visual and you know, it really does work beautifully. Um the film is funny though. Like, and, um, it's, I don't know. It just isn't like, it isn't boring and it isn't hollow and simple. I think it's quite rich. And I thought their flirting was, was pretty good. Like it's using older language. So you have to work with it a bit, but you can see when it's a little bit racier, you can see when it's, uh, a, they just take more risks. You can, and you can see the fun in their flirting with each other, especially as she kind of tries to draw Keats, who's a bit more reserved and just wants to like sit there writing his kind of failing poetry. Uh, and she's trying to draw him out to come and dance. Um, I just thought they were fun characters and the way yeah. they interacted was nice. And the, the way they interacted was convincing. Yeah. Um, and it was quite understated, but that, uh, that helped it, I think. I, t- I totally agree. Didn't make and me wince in the way that often those things do. Just in case we hadn't said it already, um, it is a f- kind of a fascinating little angle to the story that Fanny was successful, earned more money, had yes. a career, and was, a, as far as I can tell, this great seamstress who was doing, you know, really good work. And I think the film sells that. And Keats is the one that we all know about and is like, you know, is world famous, but he was down and out. Yeah. And that is a, that's an interesting kind of part of this relationship in the film. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right, I think we are ready to move on to the history. Let's do that. You're going to be on your own on this one. Okay. I think it's going to be quite short. Um, So I think that's okay. Um, Just to make it clear in case people didn't know. This is a fictional account of what Fanny and Keats' relationship might have been like. 
but it is based on the research of the poet Andrew Motion. Uh, and a lot of that research comes from the letters that they exchanged. So sometime after Keats's death, uh, Fanny marries and she has three children. Um, she then entrusts her letters from Keats to them. Um, and I think she said that she wanted to wait until after she had died and her husband had died, because I'm not sure he knew about them. So in 1878, they get published. Um, and this was the first time that the world discovered their romance. And then I also read that... So these are the ones that are from him to her. The ones she sent to him, he couldn't open them and read them while he was right. in Rome. He was too weak. He didn't want to... It was too heartbreaking for him. And from what I can tell, he was buried with the unopened letters in his grave from mm. Fanny. Um, the film said that she she still wore his ring until like her dying day, which as far as I can tell is true. The ring, right. the engagement ring that he gives her, um, she wore until the end of her life. Did she marry um, again? Yeah, so because I think it's because she never actually married Keats, so she marries mm -hmm. for the first time uh, and she has those kids and they're the one that she passed kind of all of this legacy onto. And there was a lot of interest um, after people discovered this relationship because Keats' reputation had now grown and developed. Uh, in his life, he never really saw success. Um, and they show you that scene where she goes to buy his book, Endymion, from the shop. Uh, and the bookkeeper's like, oh, yeah, I've got 10 copies of it. Haven't managed to sell a single one. And yes, no. she's off to buy the first copy of Endymion. Mm. And they're this little group of poets who read and appreciate and um, profess their love for each other. Um, but that kind of seems to be a quite nuclear. It doesn't really go anywhere else. Yes, Jane mentioned that, because Jane did a course on the uh, the New Romantics, mm. uh, which is not ABC or Depeche Mode in this iteration. Um, and I think she was talking about the fact that, yes, he had this group of friends who get together and, as in the film, send him off to uh, Italy to try and recover his health. Um, I did read one article that suggested that the, his, the journey to Italy reduced his life because it was so arduous right. and caused him to die even sooner than he would have. Right. Um, but yeah, his brother had consumption. I think mother had consumption and they like each die before him. And you see right. his brother in the film. Yeah, you see his brother dying, of course, in the film, don't you? Um, Which is the thing that brings them together in an old way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously he says, you know, when I saw your reaction to my brother dying, I realised you were genuine and not just a flippity gibbet. Didn't use the word flippity gibbet, obviously. Right? Yeah. Um, he could have done. Could have done, yep. So a quote from Campion was, I've read it in an article. Um, she said, instead of saying, what interesting way could I do this? I thought to myself, what is the most probable way that this would have happened? Right. Um, so she read a number of like, uh, biographies and books on Keats and became fascinated by his poetry and then discovered this romance. And that was like what uh, gave her the, like the in to both him and his work. And then that was the story that she thought was most interesting. So, you know, I don't think she wanted to do a film that was about John Keats and the film isn't really about him, but it's about this important relationship um, in his and Fanny's life and kind of yeah. highlighting that to us. So, Accuracy-wise, I think it's very accurate. 
I think mm-hmm. it's also very plausible, which adds to that accuracy. And I think the authenticity of the time period is recreated as well. Um, it's hard to find because it's all kind of these personal moments connected to each other. I think all of the, the basic facts are there and it's hard to pick too many holes in this. So I'm not going to, yeah. um, everything seems to be true as far as I can tell. And there doesn't seem to be too much about this. Yeah. Keats right. was not successful. She was, um, yeah. that's why they couldn't get married. You know, he gets sent off to Italy. He, you yeah. know, he dies in Rome. I th- can't remember if Mr. Brown went with him in real life and if he was there or not. Um, Mr. Brown died in New Zealand, weirdly. Oh, right. Uh, he like emigrated there. Right. Um, also, many lines of the script are taken directly from Keats's letters and what that oh, was okay. incorporated right. into the, the dialogue of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, as they do with, I think, three or four of his poems, um, including Bright Star. Right. Uh, did anything jump out to you? Did, was there anything, was there an equivalent of the lie? Um, no. That annoyed the terrible you? Terrible lie in the, at the heart of Gladiator, which we haven't, haven't reached yet, have we? Uh, no. Actually, I mean, it all did feel very authentic. And it, to the level that, you know, there wasn't an awful lot about the about history, as it were, in terms of to get to get annoyed with, with because the basic facts were there, and then the rest, you know, in terms of how the relationship worked and all the rest, it was bound to be speculative anyway, because it's somebody somebody imagining something which, uh, you know, you couldn't actually see. So uh, yeah, it all felt pretty authentic. Um. Did you enjoy being in this period setting, this historical setting? I did. I mean, I thought they did that very well. It all, you know, it all, you felt you were there. You felt you were at that time. I mean, that worked, I think, all really well. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Good. Um, God, can you imagine? I, I simply cannot. The emotional strain that having that like dating or having a romantic relationship or this like um, overwhelming like love affair would be if you have to wait for letters to like travel days, weeks, months. I sometimes wonder about, I mean, maybe, um, although of course, once Fanny had got going, you know, once she'd filled out the gap, then one came every day because she'd written so many of the blessed things. Um, I rather think, must be something quite nice about that just to be contrarian in the sense that you often read about these famous figures in history and they have to go so i don't know cardinal Wolsey or something has to go to york and it takes him four to eight days to get there um everything must have been a lot less desperately in a hurry mm-hmm. i haven't found the right word i rather like the idea of you know, Sadler has to go under Henry VIII, has to go to Edinburgh, something to do with Mary Queen of Scots or something. It's got this terrible mission that he's got. And it takes him five days to get there. So on the way, we're having some food, stopping at inns, you know, having a bit of a chat. I mean, great. Anyway, that's not really answering the question you asked. But imagine if, um, you know, that stress of you're like, oh, my God, I've got to rush across town and do this job but that stress remains for five days straight and you're up at night and you're like, horseman, keep riding. We cannot stop. <laughs> but you couldn't do anything else about it. Could you? No. You know, that was the time scale that you had to work with. 
So if somebody would say, okay, take this message. Uh, you need to take this message um, and get me an answer back in 10 days. It's like the, right. it's like the runners in, in Greece. Um, can you imagine you, you're on the cliff and you're like, uh-oh, invading armies here. And then you're like, I'm now going to run for hours. And yes. all I'm thinking the whole time is, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. The invasion is coming. And yes, that's nobody true. Knows. That would be a bit. That would be a bit, a bit annoying, wouldn't it? You see, it would have its downside. On the other hand, let's say you're the English cricket team and you're going to go and play South Africa, Africa and it takes you a couple of months to get there. Fantastic. Party. You'd be playing cricket on the deck, drinking pink gins. But is it worth it if you go there and lose? Ah, it's about it's not about winning or losing, as you know. It's about the taking part. Okay, <laughs> it really isn't actually, but you know, yes, possibly. Well, is there anything there else go. you wanted to add? I think I'm I'm empty. Okay, how do you want to score the movie? As I want to score the movie with a seven. Okay, I'm giving what it a nine. Well, that's just because you're more romantic than I am. Um, okay, sure. Yep. I mean, there's a lovely movie. It worked really well, but it's, it's kind of a little movie. And I would, yeah. I would definitely recommend it to anybody. But you know, I just thought it was really well made. Yes, and I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would have. Yes, possibly. same here. Um, accuracy. I again, I was almost tempted to be like, it's that we have this discussion all the time. It's like if you can't find any faults and it's kind of made up, but it's very likely that it could have happened like that, how can you really critique it too much? Mm. But does that mean it's accurate? So I kind of want to say, yeah, it's an eight or nine um, because it doesn't seem to have any like, yes, glaring, uh, obvious. Um, but it is, uh, well, I'm going to follow your account. score. I'm going to follow your score. I think it's one of those things where it's reasonably obvious what's fictional and what isn't going to be because you know that that the kind of personal nature of a relationship like that has got to be artistically rendered because no, you know, nobody is alive who was actually watching it. And even then, their impression of how it wasn't such something so internal would obviously, you know, there's no 100% accuracy to be had with such a thing. Would you recommend the film? Yes, I would. I mean, I would recommend it. It was... Uh, uh, a very nice watch, very enjoyable. I wouldn't put a big party to go and say, "Woo, we're going to go and watch Bright Spark." Hey, party, party! You know, it's not a big event film, but mm -hmm. it's uh, it was a very enjoyable evening watch. Yeah, it's a very pleasant movie. It is. It's pleasant. That's a killer of a word, isn't it? Pleasant. Oh, oh. I I couldn't mean. I wasn't sure if you meant that pleasant is like, um, like it it's, almost demeans it, the movie by not being yeah, like it impactful. It's enough. damning with, damning with faint praise, isn't it? Yes, pleasant. I, I see the point. But what's an equivalent word? Something. Sometimes it was just so nice to watch this movie that was that was quite nice. Yes, true. I get you. Do you know I what I mean? Meaning. Yes. Okay. Well, it was deeply, emotionally pleasant. Yeah, let's let's say that. I can't think of anything better. Um, but I highly recommend it. And especially if you haven't... I don't know. It's it's the first Jane Campion movie that I've really enjoyed. Um, so maybe if you have been put off by her work before, this is a bit different. And I think, um, I think it's very good. Very good. Excellent. I think we can agree. 
Um, and so this is a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Uh, and we'll see you on the Facebook group to uh, talk about the movie. We should have said goodbye in a more poetry way. Farewell, sweet lips that never told a lie. Adieu, adieu, a kiss <laughs> from me. <laughs> Go on, finish slightly ill. Okay, bye everyone. Goodbye. Are you not entertained? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.